Good morning, all seasons. It is so good to see you in the house of the Lord. This morning, I'm going to uh, uh, jump on a, a series. Before I do, let me make one announcement and kind of touch up on, on the stuff. You saw that uh, the first Saturday in March, we will be having our gifts assessment, a lot of what we've been dealing with and our teaching on make a move and things. And so uh, if you would like to be a part of that, we'll just be from 9 to 12 and just uh, going through all the different gifts you might have and just trying to pull out everything from personality to... And, and when I say this, let me just be very clear. I'm an introvert, but yet look at me today. It doesn't mean that, that you won't be used by God in ways that are uncomfortable. In fact, God will choose the more uncomfortable areas of your life to use you. It doesn't mean, well, I'm just not that way, or I'm just, you can't use that as an excuse. But what it does is it helps you to realize the areas in which you need to grow, in which you need to fight, or areas in which, as I, I make it very clear, it takes energy. There's, in, in other words, when you're tired, you're acting like you. When you're tired, you act like you. You're just not nice anymore. Or you just don't care no more. Or you just, what, whatever your personality is, you get tired, you don't have the energy to be what you're not. And so what you realize is two things. Is first, I need to know the areas in which I need to grow. And then I need to realize it takes energy for me to do this. So when, so when me as an introvert, when I'm up here preaching and I'm, I'm doing ministry and I'm, I'm out in the public, it is, it is costing me energy, lots of energy, in which I have to go away and, and, and regroup or, or recharge. For some people, they're just naturally outgoing. They just, they just love being around people, man. They're, they're, they, it takes energy for them to be alone. Anybody in here like that? Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's like, man, I'm about to go crazy sitting here. I mean, it's just, I've got to go do something. We got, being alone drives you crazy. Me, I'm like, this is heaven. This is just heaven. And so learning these gifts and learning how to use them and learning how to grow, it's very important. Uh, it's very important. So if you'd like to be a part of that, and then the next day, starting at 2.30, we will be for three months, uh, three of the four Saturdays, uh, three of the four Sundays a month, for three months, we will be doing discipleship. That's where, it's, uh, I guess if you say it like some churches would say second base, uh, some churches would say the 102 class or the 202 class, whatever you phrase it, we just call it uh, the make a move. It's, in other words, you move from salvation and now I'm wanting to use these skills, skills. I'm wanting to learn how to, uh, as I call it, self-feed. Um, you ever want to be a Christian that basically you're on fire when you get to church and not after church? Yeah. You want to be that Christian that's like, man, I showed up this morning ready to go. I showed up. Not, okay, bro, Lord, I'm here. Please help me. I've made it through one more long, grudgeous week. You want to be the person that can self-feed, who can study during the week, who can pray during the week who can uh, uh, do your own uh, Bible and, and time together. It doesn't mean you don't enjoy church. It just means I don't have to have it. You know, what would happen if Pastor Lot didn't have to have church? Well, I'd have to learn to, to be mature enough to do my own, to be able, if, if I was locked up in jail, let's say like Paul. Well, how's Paul going to stay encouraged? How's Paul going to stay if he's locked up? He can't go hang out with everybody anymore. Well, he had to be able to be mature enough to self-feed. That's what discipleship is. It's learning to grow and to lead so that no matter what position or condition God puts you in, no matter what life throws at you, you are able to live a godly life. 
you're able to live that life. And everybody should want that. And if you'd love to know more about that or be a part of that, uh, we'll be doing that. I've had several people, they're excited, been wanting me to do it for a while. All right, today I'm going to start something, probably cut half of it because I was wanting to do this in one week. But the more I look at it, the more I can't. So we're going to get through half of this today. And the study that we're fixing to do is, is a study that's, it gets touched on from time to time. And I guess the overriding statement is simply this, is that God loved Jacob and he hated Esau. That is such a broad statement, that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. Both of them came from the same mom. Both of them had the same dad, had the same grandfather. But God, in this statement, makes something very important to us. And I guess the overriding theme that I'm going to be talking about is simply this. A birthright despised. Look at the person beside you and say, don't ever despise your birthright. Don't ever despise your birthright. There are some things that are, are very important. We don't realize the value of them. We don't, we don't know the true value of it. In, in fact, years ago, about five years ago or so, there was a young man who in, in Portland, Oregon, uh, stole some stuff. And what it was, he was working for this older lady and while he was working for this, this lady, uh, doing some different projects around the house and stuff, he had noticed these coins and stuff around her house and just different things. And, and they were just kind of in boxes or whatever. And just, and they saw a quarter over here and saw a nickel over here and saw. And so when he left on the last day, he, he kind of got itchy and he stole them. He stole them. I mean, stole whole, every kind of quarter, anything she had. He went through and stole all her coins. And so the police came and they began to investigate and they came to him and said, did you, did you steal? You know, they, they didn't have no evidence, but did you do this? He said, no, no, I don't know nothing about this. I don't. Well, it wasn't until later that they kind of had a suspicion it was him because he was the only one who had access. But how they proved it and how they caught him was the fact that he was going into quick stops in different places and he was using the coins to buy tater chips in fact, he used one coin, an $18,000 coin, to buy a Coke. He had no idea. He just knew it was a half dollar. He just knew it was a half, it says a half dollar. It's a half dollar. Might be worth a little bit more, but he, he, he was just spending it. It was coins. He had no idea that in actuality he had over $120,000 worth of money that he had in his pocket. And he had no idea as he was going around buying a Coke with this one and buying some potato chips with this one. And that's how they caught him on video using the coins for something a lot less than what it was valued for. In the story today, as we begin this, we're going to get to the halfway point of understanding him selling, this man named Esau selling his birthright. But go with me in your Bibles to Genesis 25. Genesis 25, verses 29 through 34. And so we need to understand what it was Esau was actually doing. There are two specific things that Esau, we are told, lost. He lost his birthright, which he sold, 
And then he lost his blessing. And we know Jacob snuck in and put camel's hair, if you don't know the story, but he, we'll talk about that one next week. But this week, let's just deal with, with this half. So he lost those two things, his birthright and his blessing. Well, what has that got to do? Why is it so important? Well, let's read. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am very weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. And we know later he will be known as the Edomites. They will be a people that even to this day have wars with Israel. They are in the Middle East. They are, will always be a thorn in their side. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? And then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went his way. And Esau, what? Despised his birthright. Esau made a decision that day. Esau made a mindset that day that changed the whole course of his life. It was not the fact that, that it was taken from him. It was not the fact that God made him, but it was the fact that he sold it. Now, let me show you a few things when we talk about this birthright that Esau sold. There's a few specific things that I need you to realize. Number one, that he, the birthright came first. It gave him the privilege of being a priest unto his family. The birthright gave him the right to be a priest. He would have the privilege of representing his family in any family matters or discussion. Later, if there were other tribes, if there were other th situations that came up, he would be the one that would go out and would be the one to represent his family to others. He would be the one that would have to take care of his sisters. He would have to be the one that would... He was given the privilege of being the one who was in charge. So I have a family and there's... Uh, four of us, and we get on phone conversations, and we have to discuss things sometimes, and, and, and talk about our mom, and how things are going, and, and we have to make decisions. But in their time, it wasn't that way. The elder son, or the one who owned the birthright, was the one who made all the decisions, and the others fell in line behind them. They were just supposed to be the one who was the leader, the one who was the most respected, the one who was the most uh, thought of. And, and anybody in here firstborns? You got any firstborns? Yeah, I'm one of those. And it comes with a, in our day and age, the firstborn comes with that little bit of uh, problem or that little bit of difficulty because we are supposed to be the example for our brothers, our sisters. Every one of us that are firstborn heard it from our parents. Now, you know your brother's watching you. You know your sister's watching you. You, you, know, you know everybody. And, and you catch the weight of everything being the firstborn. Anybody say amen? It, it, it just works that way. And, and it doesn't help the fact that your parents actually had no practice before they started with you. 
So you've got the worst part. You've got this high expectation with untrained parents. By the time they've had two or three or four, they've kind of got the rhythm of the thing. But with you, you get dressed, I mean, I mean to the nines. I mean, you get to wear suits that you wouldn't, you know, first child, you got all these outfits, man, you got all this. The second child, he gets the hand-me-downs. Third child, if they just got a diaper on, you're happy. It's like, they got clothes on, don't they? Good. They look fine. Let's go to Walmart. Yeah. It's like they used to talk about the pacifier. The first child, if a pacifier hits the floor, what do you do? You boil it. If, if the second child hits the floor, the pacifier hits the floor, what do you do? You wipe it off. The third child, pacifier hits the floor, what do you do? You pick it up and stick it back in their mouth. You kind of learn. You kind of figure it out. So the first child, he, he just catches it from every side. And so Esau, on the good side, was supposed to be the one who represented his family, to be the priest. Later, we know that this was changed in Israel because the Levites will one day be the chosen priesthood, God took away the role of the firstborn son. In fact, in other cultures, it was to such a degree that a lot of times the very first child that was born, they would sacrifice to their God. They would kill the very first child just because they were honoring the God that was giving them. But in the, the God that we serve, he said, I want you to give me the firstborn and the firstborn will represent you before me. He will be a priest. He will be the one that talks to me, and I'll be the one that talks to him, and he will lead the family. So when Esau was giving this up, he was giving up the opportunity to be the one that's closest to God, the one who was going to talk to God, be represented by God, the one who was going to represent his family and lead his family forward. And Esau says, that's okay. The second thing that Esau was giving up was this is that he gave up a double portion of his father's estate. The second thing that Esau gave up was this double portion. So the way it worked was, is if, if we had three kids, there had been three children, then Esau, they would they have done, they would have split it into thirds. Esau would have got two-thirds, and they would have got a third. He would have got a double portion compared to everyone else. If it had been in fours, if it had been four children, it had been a quarter, 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 quarter. No, it would have been a half, and then the other three would have split up the other half. He would have got a double portion compared to whatever number there is. So when he gives up his birthright, everything his father has, Everything he possesses, all the cattle, all the, all the livestock, all the servants, everything that, that Jacob has, he is basically saying, it is of no value to me. The only thing I care about is that stew. The only thing I want is what I can get right at the moment. It didn't even just go there. But remember now, Jacob is a chosen people. He has already been promised, not only has he been promised what he has, but he has been promised what will be a whole different land, the land of Canaan, the promised land. Abraham was promised a land. Abraham was promised descendants that would outnumber the stars. 
Abraham was promised this enormous. So he passes this down to Jacob or to Isaac, his father, his son. And when he passes it down to Isaac, he said, son, you are the next of the generation, but there's coming a time when we will own, we will possess a whole land. We will, we will have so many descendants, they'll outnumber the star. God has given us a promise. And Isaac then passes that down to Esau and Jacob. And it's the understanding that, listen, guys, we are a blessed people. We are a people that have been given an inheritance. Not only what you see that I have already, not all the, the cattle that I have and not everything, but we have a promised land that's going to be given to us. We have an enormous riches that we haven't even touched into yet. And so when Esau says, I don't care what you're taking and what is I'm losing, he's saying, I don't even care not only about what I have, but I don't care about what God has promised that's in my future. I don't care about all the riches that he's told me that are going to be mine in my future. So he says, go with me in your Bibles to Hebrews, Hebrews 12, verses 14 through 17. Here's what it says. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. And by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornication or profane person like who? Esau. Paul begins to write about Esau. And here's what he says. Who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. He says, be careful. Be really careful. Because Esau lost Because for one morsel of food, he lost a lot of what I just told you about. And we'll get back to that. Verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he was found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Go with me to verse 23. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men. Listen, when we talk about selling your birthright, when we talk about losing your possession, he's talking here about losing your spiritual side. Paul goes to the spiritual side and says, listen to me, guys, you're you're going to sell off something that you're going to regret very deeply down the road. Number three, when Esau sold his birthright, he sold his priesthood, he sold the promises of God, but listen to me, he gave up his power. He gave up his authority to be the head of his family. He gave up all authority to be the one who was going to take care of, look after, oversee his mother, if he had sisters, all of his father's possessions. You remember the, the prodigal son? The story of the prodigal son, the prodigal comes back and the, and the older son won't go in and celebrate. And he looks at the father, and we get it many times in our mind, a Western culture, is that 
is that when, <laughs> when the father gave the son what was his, we think that he split it, right? You know, he gave, he gave half to the younger son, the older son still had. No, you've got to understand this. When the older son stayed with the father in the prodigal son story, the younger son only took a third. The older son didn't just have what he normally had, but he had the responsibility of taking care of his father, had the opportunity to be at the house. He had the opportunity, because everything now, there was no question that for the older son, everything that was in his sight was his. The moment the father split it, it all become his. The only thing the father had was the fact that he lived at the older son's house. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when the father later looks at the older son and the older son says, you never killed a calf for me. You never did any of that for me. What did he tell him? He said, you are with me always. And everything that I have is yours. Son, you own the house. Son, you own every cow that's out here, every, every, every livestock. You own every chicken. You own everything that's out here. It's not mine and yours. I have, when I chose to give the younger son his, I also gave you yours. And you got two-thirds. You have more than enough to be satisfied and happy. When Esau sold his birthright, he said, I don't want the responsibility. I don't want that. Why is that important, Brother Lot? Why, why is that so important to us? Because listen to me, in the New Testament, it works the same way. In the New Testament, it works the same way. Don't sell your birthright. Pull that verse 23 back up again. I'm going to show you. And let's go a little bit deeper. So in the New Testament, let's see it from our perspective. To the general assembly and the church of the what? Look at the person beside you and say, you're the firstborn. See, every person that's saved becomes part of the assembly of the firstborn. Let me see if I can say it this way. God does not have grandchildren in heaven. God does not have cousins in heaven. He doesn't have distant kin. The only thing that makes it to heaven is the firstborn. Whoever goes to heaven becomes part of the firstborn of the family of God. From the time of Abel to our time now, every person that dies becomes part of the assembly of the firstborn. That's why that we don't call ourselves Christians. We don't call it. If we truly understood what we are doing and what we're living, we look at each other and we say, that's my brother and that's my sister. Why? Because we're of the same cut. We are the same of the firstborn. There is neither Greek nor Jew nor female nor male. There is simply the firstborn of heaven. And Paul says, do you understand who you are in the kingdom? In fact, when he begins to talk about this and share this, go back with me to verse 22. And let me show you a verse. I know I'm throwing this on. Verse 22. I told you, I'm just going to get as much as I can out. 
But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly what? Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of... See, what he does in this verse 17 where I cut off and to verse 22 where I just got you to, what he did was he said, listen, are y'all so dumb that y'all want to go back and do it the Old Testament way? He said, do you remember how they were called to Mount Sinai and how the, the whole mountain smoked? And do you remember how they couldn't live up to God's laws? And do you remember how they couldn't do this? And you to do all of that, to be the sons of God, he said, that's what they had to do. He said, I want you to be priests unto me. I want you to be kings. I want you to be rulers. I want you to be, and he said, to do this, you're going to have to live up to my law. And they were so terrified at Mount Sinai, smoke coming. And if anything touched it, if a bird landed on it, it would die. I mean, it was, it was an incredible thing. He said, these are my laws and you got to live by my laws. And if you don't live by my laws, then you're going to be cut off. And Paul said, you want to go back to that? You want to go back to looking at each other and saying, well, I don't do that. I do better than you or I'm better. No. He said, listen, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the holy city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, which by grace through salvation has brought you into a different relationship with God. Now, not by your works, but by what Jesus did on the cross, you now become the firstborn of God. How do you know this, Brother Lot? Because I preached a whole series a while back on how we sit in heavenly places with who? With Christ. The firstborn of many brothers and sisters. It's not that Jesus is up here and you're down here. We honor Jesus and we love Jesus because he did something that no one else could do. The only begotten of the Father, the only true Son of God. But what he did it for was so that we don't have to stay down here. So that we could sit with him in heavenly places. He is the firstborn. He's the elder son. He makes the decisions. But he said, no, no, no. I want you to sit with me. Therefore, whatever you bind on earth is bound in, and whatever you loose on earth is loosed in. Oh, I wish somebody understood what I was talking. If you understood that, that you are the firstborn of the kingdom of heaven, that you are the elder son, and you can ask whatever you have need of, you can pray, believing, and you shall receive. Jesus spent three and a half years trying to teach some old sheep boys and some old fishing boys and some old tax collector boys exactly what they have. Do you understand that now you are the firstborn of the most high God? You are an elder son. You have rights and privileges. Don't sell it away. Don't sell it. Don't give it away cheaply. So first of all, don't sell your priesthood. Don't trade your opportunity for direct access to God for something on this earth that seems pleasing for the moment. Don't sell anything that God has given you in priesthood for some affair, for some lie, for some anything, something cheap that won't matter next week. Because let me tell you what you have to do when you sell your priesthood. 
You will have to the very next morning. You ever notice when somebody does something wrong? When somebody does something that they shouldn't do, and they know it, how do you know it? What's different the next day? When you talk to them and you're like, you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. What's changed? Look at the person beside you and say, their attitude. Listen to me very carefully. Nobody has to find out. Nobody has to know. But I'm going to tell you what will happen directly the very moment you do it. Your attitude changes because you will have to despise your inheritance to grab hold of something that's not. The young girl who, who wants to sleep with her new boyfriend and do this, and her parents are like, what's wrong with you? You're acting all weird lately. You do it. Why? Because for her to do what she wants to do for the moment, she has to sacrifice her inheritance. That's why so many times when I bump into you at the back door or whatever, I don't have to ask you what you're doing. It just shines off of you. You doing all right? Yeah, I'm fine, bro. Okay. You're selling your inheritance for something. And it's now done took your joy, and it's done took your peace, and it's done took you what used to be happiness. You used to be so giddy coming to church. You were so excited. Now it's just like, oh, I got to church. Why? Because listen to me, you can't have it without selling what you have. You will have to sell what you have to gain something that will only last for a moment. That will only last for a short time. And the first thing that you have to sell is your right of priesthood. Your access to God. Your free access to God. That you can just close your eyes and pray. That you can just talk to Him while you're driving down the road. Come boldly to the throne. Something happened immediately right now. In my mind, what happens is i got to get to God. What happens in their mind is, Lord, now I know I ain't doing things right. And I'm, but I need your help anyway. Why? Because you had to sell it. Listen to me very carefully. Don't listen to some well-educated preacher who tells you that we all sin a little every day. Get a million miles away. Because let me tell you what they're doing to you. They're programming you to go to church, but they're programming you to be disconnected from your father. They're programming you to be in church. But they're programming you that every time you pray, every time you seek him, you can't truly find him. You can't ever truly get to him. Why? Because there's no access anymore. I sold my access, my priesthood. I sold it for something that I like. So in your life, be very careful not to sell it for that. In fact, go with me to verse 14. I'll show you what I mean when I say this. Pursue peace with all people 
and what? Without which no one will see the... Now, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, you pursue peace, and he incorporates that you pursue holiness. Those two things you you pursue, they become part of your inheritance. He says, listen, those are the things that you need to have in your life. It means to set apart from sin it means that you position yourself in Christ, seated with Christ. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. I'll show you a few scriptures. To the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all who in every place call on the same uh, of, uh, name of Jesus Christ or both theirs and ours. Those that are sanctified, those that are set apart, those that have been called out, those who see themselves as priests of the Most High. Go with me to chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11. Let me show it to you again. Do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be what I said a while ago when I talk about preachers. I'm just going to tell you what Paul would tell you. He probably said it in a nicer way. Don't let them deceive you. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, or sodomites nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will That's not that's not a denominational preaching. That's just the Bible. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to make you feel like, oh, Lord, I'm going to lose my No, we're not talking about losing salvation. We're not talking What we're talking about is having a mindset that I'm living for God. And I'm, not, and I'm not doing it just simply because it's a rule. I'm doing it because it's my call to be a priest, to be an intercessor, to be someone who has access to God. I don't want to give up my right to have access to God. Listen to what he says. For as such were some of you, verse 11. As such were some of you. What's the key word there? Were. Well, I still am. Well, then you don't have the kingdom. But the preacher said I did, and I'm, I joined the church. Well, that's great. But I'm telling you, as honestly as I can, what's killing you spiritually is the fact that you are selling your priesthood for something of this world. And he makes a list of it. If you're saying, well, I love the Lord, but I still get drunk every Friday night, you're selling your priesthood. Well, I love, I love the Lord, but I, but I still got these alternate lifestyles. You're selling your priesthood. Is there any way I can say this more plainly? Not, I, I mean it as honestly as I can, guys. Because I don't want to have a counseling session with you two years from now, and you're in my office all bawling and crying and wondering why your life is falling apart, and I'm going to look straight at you and say, because you sold your 
but God loves me. He still loves you, but you sold your you sold your inheritance. You sold it away. You sold your opportunity to have access to the most mighty God. You sold your access to have the ability to talk to Him at any moment. For Him to say, ask whatever you will. To have confidence in Him. You're, you've sold it away. That's why He says, strive for holiness. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Guys, that's the life that we're called to live. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people called to good works. Number two, the second thing that you will lose if you decide on the promises of God, don't sell out the promises, don't trade your right to discover and enjoy all that God has promised to you. Go to verse 15 now, back in Hebrews. Verse 15. We just read verse 14, but let's go to verse 15. Because listen to me now. Not only do you lose the priesthood, but listen to what it says. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Now see, we think grace, we use it many times, I've told you, we use it in the wrong definition. It's not unmerited favor. That's not what grace is. Grace is not the, the get-out-of-jail-free card. What grace is, when it's used correctly, grace is the ability to do what you cannot do within yourself. So when somebody says, well, Brother Lott, I, I, I have a sin problem. Okay, well, that's great. Grace, where sin abound, grace did much more. When it's used correctly, it is a powerful thing. The grace of God in my life can cleanse me can push me, can allow me to be what I can't be in my own strength. It's not an excuse, but here's what he says. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring and cause trouble. And by many, and by this many become defiled. He says, listen, if you don't allow grace to do what it's supposed to do in your life, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to grow a root group of bitterness. You're going to wonder why, well, why can they go do it and I can't do it? They don't seem like they can have fun, but I can't have fun. How come they can have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and I can't have one like that? How come well, they get to go do stuff, but I can't? What happens is if you don't pursue God and become sanctified and wholly sold out and decide that the grace of God is just a card to use when I need it, then bitterness will begin to arise. And you'll start wishing you could be like the world and still be in church. Why can't I be like the world and still go to church and be happy? Because you're going to have to sell one or the other. You can't have them both. You can't, you can't go Saturday night and do whatever you want and then have the joy of the Lord when you come in on Sunday morning. You can't sell one and then try to buy the other later. Now, I can't tell you which one to buy. You may decide today, it's like, I want the world. Good. I'm glad you made a choice. Makes my job a lot easier. I, I think it's the real dumbest choice you'll ever make in your life. 
I think your future, your kids, your home, your life, and when you get old, you're going to really regret it. But if that's your choice, man, go get it. Get you three or four girls. Get drunk every night. Don't get drunk once in a week. Just, just, just spend everything. You get, I mean, live it to the top because if that's what you're going to sell out for, do like Esau, man. Eat it up. He didn't just give him the lentils. His Bible says that Jacob said, here's some bread to go with it, man. Just fill yourself up or all I want is your birthright. And you can have all of this stuff you want. But you know the problem is, the next day, you know what Esau's problem was? He was hungry again. Let me tell you what will happen when you come down off your stupor. You're going to need to get drunk again. Let me tell you what's going to happen this weekend when you go party with your buddies. You're going to need to party again. You're going to have to have a new song every now and then. Because the old ones done got old. You're going to have to have some new running buddies because the old ones done got old. Whatever you eat in this world, you're going to get hungry again. It's not worth selling your inheritance. But he says, listen... Number two, don't sell out the promises of God. So if I'm in this mindset, think of all the promises we have through Christ Jesus. Not only the promise of salvation, the promise of healing, the promise of deliverance, the promise of that he'll never leave me nor forsake me, the promise that all of these promises that God just keeps throwing out. You say, brother, Lord, I, I, I kind of have a, a downward spirit. Great. The Bible says he gives joy and peace. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Peace that passes understanding. I'll take that. I, I made a choice and I, I bought what God said I needed. Number three. And third, don't sell the power of being a child of God. Don't sell the power. Let's look at verse 15 again. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace, lest a root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble by this, many become defiled. Verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. He calls him a fornicator and profane. In other words, what he was saying was, you are full of being earthly. You are full of being worldly. And it's costing you, it's killing you to the utmost. Verse 17. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now let me show it to you this way. Go with me to Genesis 17. 18 through 21. Genesis 17, verses 18 through 21. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No. Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. And with his, what? Descendants after him. What he's saying is the firstborn, the one who has the birth. He's saying, listen to me, 
I'm telling you, what I'm going to do has to be coming through one who has the firstborn rights. Let me show it to you in another place. Go to chapter 21, verses 8 through 14. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, who she had born to Abraham, scoffing. Why was he scoffing? Who was the oldest? Ishmael. What was Ishmael thinking? Saul, this is mine. I'm the oldest. It's mine. Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son. I've told you all many times the Old Testament is simply a picture of what the New Testament is trying to teach you. You can't have both. Look at the person beside you and say, you can't live with both. If you try to live in the world and hold on to God, the world will scoff at you. The world will say, go to church, do it. But you'll be running, you'll be running with me this weekend. You try to do both, the world will laugh. Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be, shall not be the heir with my son. Namely, with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing to Abraham's sight because of his... It's hard, isn't it? It's, it's, it's extremely hard. I don't want to look at anybody in this room and tell you that it's not hard to choose your birthright. There's not a moment in my life that I've ever lived, being the oldest in the natural or oldest in the spiritual, that it has not been difficult in my life to make the choice to say that I will not sell my birthright. I'm not selling it for sex. I was 24 years old, a virgin, when I got married. I've only known one woman all my life. I know in this world today that's, that's a, a miracle within itself. But I'm just telling you, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody or make you feel bad about your choices. God heals and delivers and sets you free and redeems and a whole nine yards. I'm just telling you, even from a young age, I wasn't selling my birthrights. I have lived my Christian life now for many, many years. Nearly 30 of them in front of you. Let me tell you what I won't do. I'm not selling my birthright. It has cost me friends, relationships. But I am not selling my birthright. Some of you in this room, you're at a crossroads, and God sent me by to tell you that you're going to have to choose what it is you're going to sell. But you cannot keep them both. You're either going to have a future... Now, looking back, it's so much easier. Now I have Caitlin, and I've got Nathan, and I've got Taylor, and I've got a church, and I've got, oh, man, I'd, I'd do that. I'd make that deal. But let me tell you something. When you're 18 years old crying in your bed because you ain't got a girlfriend, it's hard to make that decision. And everybody thinks you're gay. 
because you won't do what everybody else does. It's not easy, but that's when you make it. You don't make it when it's good. You make it when it's Esau, when you're hungry, and when you have a choice. I, I'm going to die. I mean, I'm going to die. Esau was not going to die. He was just tired. He was weary. He, was just, he, was just, he just needed something to eat. He could have went and got some water. He could have went and got, but he saw that food, and he saw that sitting on the table, and he said, I'll sell everything I got for that. Jacob said, Really? then give me your birthright for this. And he said, what good's a birthright? What good is it to wait till I get married if, if, I, if I never make it? What good is it to, to live a good life if it never matters? And he sat down and ate himself full. And he sold his birthright. Verse 12. But God said to Abraham, do not let this be displeasing in your sight. Of the lad or because of your bondwoman, whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Whoever you are in this room today, this is halfway through the sermon, but it's the half I'm through with. You get to choose whether you want to sell what is yours. You, you, you say, well, Brother Lot, you know, I don't know if it's mine. You wouldn't be in this room today. You wouldn't be listening to me online if God hadn't already called you to be part of His family. God set up a divine moment for you to realize you're part of the firstborn of my family. You're not a stepchild, a cousin, or kinfolk. You are my child. And the same blessings I look at Tim Lott on, I look at you on. The same promises I've given to him or... Billy Graham, or any promises I gave to Martin Luther or Martin Luther King, I gave to you. I don't have stepchildren. I don't have grandchildren. I have children. And they're all of the firstborn. And each one of you in this room gets to choose. Go with me to James. James 1, 14 and 15, and I'm through. And I'll read this. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings to death. Let me read that one more time to you before I let you go. Because some of you got some real important decisions to make this week. And I don't want to lie to you in any way. I want to show you how important what your decision is going to be. But each one of you, every single person in this room, your mom can't fix it, your dad can't fix it, nobody else can cure it for you. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. 
Whatever it is you keep putting in front of your face, whatever it is you keep listening to, whatever it is you keep pushing in front of you, saying that that's, that's important. Just like Esau kept looking at that soup, Esau kept thinking about what it would taste like. Esau kept... Esau should have just quickly walked away. When Jacob said, I say you, the soup for birthright, you're crazy. Man, I'm not giving away. Man, you know what I have? You know what I have? Then, when desire has conceived. So you don't just start sinning. You don't just start sinning. You've been thinking about something. There's something you've been tapping around on your phone on. There's somebody you've been in communication with. There's something you keep flirting with. There's something you keep looking in the magazine at. There's something you keep driving by the car lot looking at. There's something that you keep enticing yourself. But when it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And I don't want to lie to you for a second. When sin gets in your life, it produces one thing. That's death. For sin to live, something has to die. In my house, the thing I, I, I like the most and I hate the most are my vines. I love them. They're beautiful. I mean, you ever see those vines just kind of come out of the ground and wrap around the trees? And man, they just, they just, they just so pretty. And you wish that the two could live right there together and be happy. But for my tree to be happy and my tree to grow and produce, and I have to cut loose the vines. When sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Will you stand? The word despised. You, you think it's some real hard, tough word. Well, he despises them. But really the word despised there, when it says that Esau despised his birthright, what it literally means is he took no thought of how important it was. That's what the word means. He walked away that day and he took no thought of exactly what he was giving away. When you walk away today from this service, my greatest prayer is, is that you don't walk away giving no thought to what it's costing if you pursue something that's going to bring death in your life. But a lot of you preaching hard. I, I'm just stuck in the middle of this sermon. There's a good side too. But it has to first start with here. Somebody says, well, I like revival. Well, revival begins with repentance. It doesn't begin with shouting. 
And this message today is the halfway point. It's where you have to decide first before you worry about blessings, before you worry about all the good and you worry about all the things that's coming your way. You have to first say, I'll tell you one thing, I'm not letting go of this. I don't care how bad it gets. I don't care... I don't care what happens like Job of old, before I get my double portion, before I get my better looking wives that has 10 kids instead of five, before I get all my good stuff coming, I tell you what, the first thing I have to do is I have to look at you and I have to say, look, I've served him in good times and I'll serve him in bad. I have to make a decision. And for whoever you are in this room this morning, I pray, I pray. I pray for your future kids' sake, and I pray for your wife, your husband's sake, and I pray for your friend's sake, and I pray for your destiny's sake that you won't sell the birthright that God's given you for access and promise and power. Father, for whoever they are this morning, God, let them decide in their heart right now that God, I serve you. Feeling, no feeling. Emotion, no emotion. I choose. I will not sell you. And I will not sell who you are for any price. There are things that have been itching at me and pulling at me and there's Things has crossed my mind or things that have pulled at me. And God, like an old vine that's trying to choke out my tree, I'm cutting it loose. I'm removing it from my side in my life. I'm removing it so that I can flourish again. So that I can be what I was meant to be again. Forgive me for letting the vine grow so far. Forgive me for playing with it so long. Forgive me. Thank you for that forgiveness. And thank you for the blessings to come. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Go give that devil fits.